This is Sunday morning. It is week three of Reaching for the Lost. It is the second week now that we have had up outside of the offices in the hallway a big sheet of paper that says you're one person. Remember the one person? And I want to welcome you with a reminder of that this morning. We are asking everybody to, well, no, we're telling everybody we need to choose one person. One person who we know by name, at least, who we can influence, whom we can impact, who we will pray for, who we will eventually share our faith with and try to help them meet Jesus Christ, that one person. And uh, I notice that there are 27 one persons on the board. I know there's more than 27 people sitting in here, which means there are several who have not yet taken that step and walked down the hall and written down the name of the one person that they're going to help lead to Christ. And I wonder about that. I wonder if what you're doing is thinking, I'm not sure I want to commit that and put my name under that one person and have somebody checking up on me. Or maybe it is, I can think of who that one person is, but what if I blow it? What if I try to share my faith and they end up not becoming a Christian? Or what if, maybe you're thinking, I don't have just the right moment, and I'm waiting for just the right moment when I'm going to go ahead and then talk to them about Jesus, and that's when it's going to happen. I'm not sure what it is that stands between, somewhere between picking that person and sharing your faith with them that uh, might be plaguing you this morning, but there is a poem that I remembered from the collected works of the famous theologian Shel Silverstein. And maybe it will encourage you not to hesitate like it has encouraged me on a few occasions over the years. It's called Diving Board. Let me read it to you real quickly. You've been up on that diving board making sure that it's nice and straight. You've made sure that it's not too slick. You've made sure it can stand the weight. You've made sure that the spring is tight. You've made sure that the cloth won't slip. You've made sure that it bounces right and that your coat, your toes can get a grip. And you've been up there since half past five doing everything but dive. This morning, if you are still standing on the board, I hope that the message that we're going to look at will encourage you to go ahead and jump. Let's stand up together and let's pray together as we begin our time of worshiping together. Father, you are good to us. Before we uh, even knew that we needed you, we have been reminded in your word, you made the way for us to have the closest of relationships with you. Thank you for that kind of love that you showed to us and that you have called us to show on your behalf to others. So, Father, thank you that we gather together today to remind one another of that, to hear from your word, to gather around your table and remember your son together. We come to worship. So, Father, as our divine audience, we welcome you. We want you to hear our words. We want you to see our hearts. We want you to know from us that we love you above everything else. And we offer this prayer together, and everybody said, Amen. I'd like you to get your Bibles and open up to Matthew chapter 9. I want to take a look today in the life of Jesus in 
Matthew chapter 9. Because, you know, just like us, a day in the life of Jesus probably starts with him pulling out his iPhone and looking at his calendar for the day. Where he pulls it out and he opens it up and he sees, okay, let's see, 5 to 7 a.m., go away to a lonely place to pray, check. Uh, 7 to 8 a.m., heal a blind man and cast out a demon. 8 to 9 a.m., teach the 12. 9 to 10 a.m., rebuke the Pharisees. Leave 15 extra minutes in case they need more. 10 to noon, teach the multitudes. Looks like another full morning for Jesus on his calendar as he goes over his iPhone. I'm not sure he used an iPhone. But I am sure Jesus had full days. And in Matthew chapter 9, Matthew has just told there the beginning of his own walk of faith with Jesus. Jesus came and he called this no-good tax collector to a changed life, so he followed Jesus. He later threw a party at his house because of his new life that he found. And so Jesus gets criticized, of all things, for trying to reach lost people. If you're looking there in chapter 9, and and do please get it open in front of you because I'm not going to be able to read all the verses from this chapter today. But if you just kind of scan over verses 14 through 34, you will notice this. It all happens in one day. If you look at the connecting words that Matthew puts in there, all of this that we're going to talk about here happened in one day. And it is obvious that Matthew wants us to get a feel for what it is like for Jesus. It goes seriously something like this. Today, Jesus is being called into question by, of all people, disciples of John the Baptist. And then, while he is still dealing with that, a synagogue official named Jairus comes and bows down in front of him. Jairus has an only daughter, she is age 12, who is so seriously ill that by the time he arrives to ask for help from Jesus, she is probably already dead. But he believes that if Jesus would just go lay his hand on her, she would recover. Jesus gets up to go. So the disciples in the crowd are going with him, and while he is on his way to Jairus' house, a woman who has had a bleeding problem for years sneaks up behind him. She thinks that if she could just touch the edge of Jesus' garment, she would be healed. So she does, and she is, and Jesus stops to speak to her. And as he is speaking to her, news comes from Jairus' house. The little girl has died. Don't bother Jesus. But Jesus isn't intimidated by death, and he reassures Jairus of that. The one, the author of life, who breathed the breath of life into Adam, the creator of all things, the one who invented little girls, takes her by the hand and with two words raises her from the dead. They leave there. Someone brings to Jesus a demon-possessed man, Jesus casts out the demon. The crowds are wowed. The Pharisees are angry. And none of this, none of this was written into Jesus' planner for the day. But that was all in one day's work. I'll tell you, just one of those events, or being around one of those events, would be enough for me for the day. So imagine that kind of a schedule day after day after day after day. 
That's the impression that we get from Matthew, starting in verses 35 to 36. Mark, by the way, in his account, also adds this detail, that right in the midst of this, Jesus goes to make a visit at his old hometown of Nazareth for the last time. And the only thing that he accomplished there at Nazareth was being amazed because of the unbelief of the people against him. Look at verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus knows that his time on earth is going to be limited. He's going to be present to get everything that he needs to get done in a a three-and-a-half-year ministry. He's surrounded daily by what sin has done to his perfect creation. A world, remember, made through him. A world made perfect by him, without pain, without death, without anything sad. And now he looks around and what he sees is a world where entire cities are skeptical of the truth. A world where men choose dishonest vocations by taking advantage of other people. A world where the so-called religious leaders, rather than shepherding the people, are fleecing the people. Where those who should have been leading them to Jesus are the ones who are trying to lead them away from him. A world where Satan's angels take over people's lives, where women have long-term illnesses that disable them, where men are reduced to blind beggars, and where little 12-year-old girls fall sick and die. Jesus faces this schedule for some period of time as wave after wave of people with messed up lives keep coming to him. And he looks at those people, and Matthew records here a word I've talked about sometime in the past. He fills splankna, (laughs) that word that means that feeling in the gut that you get when you deeply, deeply feel for someone else's need because they're harassed and helpless. By the way, the English language comes up short here. Other translations have tried distressed and downcast. They are dispirited. They are scattered. They are troubled. They are wandering. They are fainting. That's some of the ways translators have tried to express this. And then there's this word picture that Matthew uses, like sheep without a shepherd, no shepherd. Picture a flock of sheep, all right? Just picture this encircled by a a pack of mean wolves snarling. And the sheep run, and they're panicked, and they're surrounded, and they're away from safety. There is no shepherd. The thing that's pushing them around and directing them are the pack of wolves. They're exhausted, they're bruised, they're bleeding, and now they collapse. And the wolves are closing in, and they begin to tear them up one by one. And when Jesus sees this crowd of people with its problems... That's what he sees. We talked last week about getting Jesus' heart. Remember that? So what do you and I see when we look at a crowd of people in downtown Rockford? What do we see? 
When we see people crowding through the store, pushing their way through traffic, sitting in a stupor on a corner of the street, what do we see? When Jesus saw those people, it touched him deep inside. So Jesus looks at the crowds. He looks at his followers, those 12 men into whom he is investing his life mission. And I can just hear the, the sigh as he says, men, there's such a great harvest here. There's so many people whose lives are ready to be transformed. But on the other hand, the workers, there just aren't enough to get the job done. It's too much. Jesus is tired. The task is overwhelming. Do you get the sense here? What do you do? Harvest. We're going to look at that word again. It's a time-sensitive event. Harvest can't be done too soon. You've got to wait till things are ready. But when it's time, when the crop is mature and dry enough, it can't be done too late or eventually it won't be good anymore. It's time-sensitive. We had a garden in northern Indiana when we lived there. And one year, early on, we planted in our garden several hills of a particular cantaloupe. I remember these. They looked like footballs, hybrid Alaska. Wow, those were good seeds, and it was a good year. And thanks to some neighboring black Angus cattle contributing also, everything, those things really grew like crazy. And I would, I remember for a couple of weeks, I would go out to the garden a couple times a day, and I'd pick a few of those beautiful muskmelons, and I'd find a couple that had been there too long, and they had rotted, and I'd throw them away, and I'd make notes about them that needed to be picked soon. There were dozens of them, and every time I would find there were some that weren't quite ready, but there were some that had waited too long. They were lost. But you know what? This morning we're not talking about beans and melons and taters. We're talking about human souls. We're talking about a world that is at least two-thirds lost. We're talking about a world where every day about 100,000 people die without hope in Jesus Christ. Without hope, without God, alone in the world. So what do you do when the harvest is big out there, but there aren't enough workers? What do you do? I'm glad you asked that. I want you to look this morning with me at what Jesus said to do about that. All right? Three-point plan, three-point sermon. It's a perfect sermon. Three points. Jesus said first to pray. When we talk about making something a matter of prayer, it's not just because we can't think of something else to say, oh, I'll pray about that. It's because Jesus says this is something that we are supposed to do. Just as surely as we are supposed to love our enemies, just as surely as we are supposed to turn the other cheek, just as surely as we are supposed to go a second mile, Jesus says here, pray. He commands us to pray for the lost. Because. Because the job is bigger than you or me. Amen? Because there is someone who is Lord of the harvest. This is his harvest. He is the boss of this. 
His business. It belongs to him. He's more concerned about this than anyone. And if it's going to be done, we're going to have to call out for reinforcements. <laughs> you need indeed. Indeed you do. No, you don't need indeed. You need something bigger than indeed. This is a big harvest. You know, last Sunday we were looking in John chapter 4. The disciples come back from Sychar. They're all concerned about lunch. Jesus is concerned about the soul of this woman who's there by the well. He's concerned about the harvest because in just a few minutes, a bunch of messed up people are going to be coming his direction. Samaritans, in fact, are going to come walking out of the city with all their problems, all their questions, all their mixed up worldviews, all their skepticism, and Jesus is going to teach them for two days solid. And he says to his men, look, lift up your eyes. Look, the fields are white. They're ripe. It's harvest time. I ask again, what do you see? When you see a city full of a wide array of different people, politicians and businessmen, students, senior citizens, street people, soccer moms, teachers, service workers, business owners, what do you see? When you're sitting in a long line at a drive-thru or another person runs a red light in front of you, not that that ever happens, when you see a panhandler or when you see a group of kids who are out late, unsupervised, what do you see? Jesus tells us to lift up our eyes and to see an opportunity. To see that there is a great harvest waiting to be collected for him. Someone else may have even done the planting already, but there is a great harvest to be gathered in here. Jesus says, pray. Pray that God will thrust out laborers into his harvest field. That's what the word literally means, that he will throw out workers into the harvest. It is the same thing that the Holy Spirit did after Jesus was baptized. It says there the Holy Spirit compelled him to go out into the wilderness. So Jesus says that's what we should be praying for, harvest workers when was the last time that we as a church family prayed that God would send out workers into his harvest field? When was the last time that we as a church family prayed that the Lord would raise up from people from our very numbers to go out and become harvesters in the Lord's business? I want to make it really easy to answer that question this morning because it's what we're going to do before we leave here today. We're going to pray that God will send out workers into his harvest field. Now, these are the words of Jesus to his disciples in Matthew chapter 9. Look there in your Bible. Look at chapter 9, and then just at the end of it, look on over at chapter 10. What happens after Jesus tells his disciples to pray that workers will go out into the harvest field? What does he do? He sends out his men into the harvest field. So here's the second thing. Not only do we need to pray, but then we need to be available to answer that prayer. 
Imagine it, you're a disciple of Jesus. He has just given you this instruction. Pray for workers in the harvest. So you take that to heart. You begin praying for the Lord to raise up people who will faithfully go, who will take the message of life into the world. And you're talking to God about this. And you're thinking about who might those workers be. And the next thing that you know, Jesus gathers you all together. And he says, okay, guys, now I'm sending you out. What do you say? (laughs) Uh, Wait, Lord, I was just praying that God would send someone else. Just like you said to do. Someone else? Who said else? You're not just the person who prays, you're the answer to your own prayer. I am sending you. I wonder how many times a young woman in Nazareth prayed that God would send his Messiah into the world and free his people Israel until one day an angel shows up to Mary and explains that God is going to answer that prayer and he's going to use her to do it. I wonder how many times a young carpenter who lived in Nazareth prayed that God would send his Messiah into the world to come and to free his people Israel until one day Joseph gets the news that the Messiah indeed is going to come and it will be through his yet-to-be-formed family. We're right to pray for the salvation of people that we know and love and even of people that we don't know Don't forget your one person. Get that name up on the wall and pray for that person regularly. Paul says he prayed for his people, the Jews, that they would be saved. And Paul also visited a lot of synagogues and preached from the Old Testament to tell Jewish people about the Messiah. He says in Romans chapter 10, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Okay, so pray. Just remember that when you pray for something, God might surprise you by making you the answer to that prayer. We need to pray. We need to be available to be the answer to that prayer. And the other thing we need to do here is get together on this. We learn from putting Mark's account together with this one today in Matthew that when Jesus sent the 12 out, he sent them in pairs. You know, things tend to go better when we have a partner alongside us. I've noticed that when I'm fishing. In case someone does catch a fish, you get a much better picture of the fish with you holding it. That way you can hold it up closer to the camera as well if you catch something. Evangelism, fishing for men, is an us thing. Jesus sent the 12 out in pairs, which means this morning you're not alone in this. In fact, As you share the good news about Jesus, you have a great big buddy in this. It's called the church. We need to pray. We need to be available to answer that prayer. We need to be partners in this, don't we? We need to be workers together in this. I used to shun the idea of, quote, inviting people to church because, first of all, this event here this morning, you and me here this morning, this isn't church, this event is the church coming together, isn't it? To worship God. Gathered to worship. That's the church. Church isn't something that you do or something that you go to. It's something that you are. 
And then we're supposed to be inviting people to Jesus, right? Not just to an event, but to Jesus and life in Jesus. But then I also read words like this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What does that imply about when we love each other? What does that imply? It implies that people can see God when they see how we act with each other. And it dawns on me that this bunch of people sitting around us right now is the most important outreach tool that there is. When someone who's not a Christian gets around God's church and they see us loving one another like we're supposed to love and care for one another. When they see us laughing with those who laugh and they see us crying with those who cry. When they see us coming alongside each other to help one another lift one another's burdens. When people see us being real, when people see us putting up with one another, walls come down. Show of hands this morning. Audience participation. We did get the air conditioner on, but it's still a little stuffy in here, so stay with me. How many of you who are followers of Jesus this morning started on that journey by someone inviting you to church or inviting you to a church function? How many of you? Look around. There's quite a few, right? You came to that. You saw something there, didn't you? You saw God's people together. And it makes sense to me that we as a church family ought to be working together as partners to do whatever we can to create in this place an environment that attracts people to Jesus because we care about the next person going to accept Jesus. Amen? I don't mean putting on a front or putting on a show, but I do mean making this event when we come together, making it the best experience that we can make it. And some of you might be thinking, wait, you don't realize what you're saying. I don't have my own act together enough to even start talking about this. I'm not nearly the person that I need to be to invite someone to Jesus. And maybe that's why you haven't put a name up on the one board yet. Well, I'm just looking here in Matthew 9 this morning at what Jesus said and did how he pulled 12 men together and then he sent them out and he gave those 12 men, look at it in chapter 10, authority and power to do his work of harvesting the souls of people. Do you know who one of those 12 men was? Judas Iscariot. I think maybe there's room for you and me in this. Just saying. So whatever your role in this, we're supposed to get together on it. Why did we do the work of the Ignite Summer Series? Why did we do that? Well, it's because it's one way to get people around God's people and to get them to see that life in Jesus is real life. Why are we doing a car show? Why trunks and treats? Because it's a way to get people around God's people so that they can see just how great God is. Those events also give you and me, you and me, a big partner in this so that we can do it together. They give us a chance to invite people to see God's people and to say to someone, hey, we're having this thing at our church. Come see it. And if we were to offer like a marriage seminar or 
parenting seminar or some kind of service project for a community. That's the kind of thing, isn't it? That we can invite somebody along and say, here, come see this. This is your preacher speaking from the heart. Central Christian Church cannot continue doing exactly what we're doing in exactly the same way that we're doing and expect to still be here in 10 to 20 years. No church can, whether we like that or not. Central Christian Church isn't doing exactly what it was doing 20 years ago. And so I am asking you, along with me, to intentionally work together to make this a climate that attracts people to Jesus Christ. Can we do that together? I mean, will you show up here on Sunday morning consistently? Will you worship together as if someone else's life depended on it? Will you sing your heart out, even if you sound terrible? Will you think about helping people be attracted to Jesus? Will you show up here on Sunday morning to this event with a sense of anticipation, excited about what God is going to do here week to week because you've been praying that it would happen? Will you talk it up afterwards? Will you partner with me? When you're walking down the hall and you see a donut crumb or a wrapper, would you pick it up? Would you make sure that people who haven't been here before, when you greet them, you show them around, or when you see, uh, when you help set a room in order, or when you help take care of kids, or when you teach, or when you lead a ministry, or when you help clean up after some event, will you do that, and will you see yourself as partners in the Lord's harvest? Will you see it as something much bigger than just some job that has to be done or something that you feel good about? Will you see it as being a partner in the Lord's harvest? What can we do to make Central Christian Church an atmosphere that will attract people to Jesus? We should be asking that and answering it. When all is said and done, the most important, most effective way to help people be saved forever, the most wonderful technique, the tool that we've got is you. You've got some good things to do, and right now, like I said, we have a good thing to do, don't we? We're going to pray. I want us to conclude our time this morning just in a, in a short time of guided prayer. To pray for those who are currently working on the mission field around the world that we especially know of, to pray for the Lord to raise up people worldwide to work in his harvest, and then also for the Lord to raise up among us people who will work in his harvest. Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth workers into his harvest field. And wouldn't it be interesting this morning while we are praying, if the Lord sets on someone's heart to step forward and to say, I'm going to help answer that prayer. I'm going to make myself available by plugging into this ministry or setting my life aside for some mission work that I have looked at God calling me to or coming up a, a plan to reach people who live next door to me or I'm going to put that one name on the board and I'm going to, I'm going to go after this person. That's what I want to encourage you to do today as we have this guided prayer that the Lord will send out workers into his harvest field. And as we become the answers 
to those prayers and as we do this together. So would you please just bow your head with me. Let, let me guide us in some silent prayer, and then I'm going to lead us in an audible prayer, and then we're going to have a, a closing song today. Let's pray together. First of all, let's pray that God will send out workers and that he will use those who are currently in the field who are working on our behalf in places where we can't be. And then let's ask him to raise up new workers, to send people to places where he wants them to go. And ask him to work by raising up workers among us, people who will be active in his harvest field from Central Christian Church. Father, Lord of the harvest, we know that the world needs you. You have given us the message of life. In your word, we have looked at the heart of Jesus and ask you, Father, to help us to gain that kind of a heart as we look out on the crowds of people. Jesus had compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Father, in our own city, we know there are people just like that. And I pray that you will open up our eyes, open up our hearts, take away the fear that we might possibly care too much or dare to do something so uncomfortable that it would make a difference. God, we invite you to raise up among us the workers that you want to use. And we pray that you will send forth workers into your field here and around the world. God, with the time that you patiently wait for us to do this work, help us to be faithful and use it well. And now this morning we invite you to impress upon us, each one of us individually, what it is you would have us to do. We pray this together in Jesus' name. This past week, yesterday actually, uh, yours truly celebrated his 50th rebirthday. Uh, that was, that's not a, a, praise God, that is for me. And just a really significant milestone for me to look back and think about what a privilege it is to know God. Uh, today could be your rebirthday, this date. July 28th, 2022, could be your rebirth day. And if you're ready to become a follower of Christ today, I hope you hear loud and clear what this is all about. We want you to, to come to Jesus. Yeah, this is the come to Jesus part. And so this morning, if that's you, if you're joining us online and you're thinking, well, what do I need to do? Please contact us. Please uh, respond right now in the comments online or get in touch with us at cccrockford.org slash connect. Um, yesterday, I was sitting, studying at my uh, branch office at Panera Bread. And a guy there said, you've been here a while. He, he started asking me questions. What are you doing? And, and I told him, well, I'm, I'm a preacher. Usually that sends people running. Uh, this young man uh, came and sat by me and talked to me and had questions. And we got to talk, and I got his name, and 
I hope I get to talk to him again. And I told him as we parted company for now yesterday, you're an answer to prayer because I pray that God will put people just like you into my path so that I can share this good message with people. That's the kind of thing that if we'll keep praying and working together at this, uh, God's going to do. And people are going to spend forever in heaven because of that. Let's stand up together. We've got a song to sing. If you're ready to accept the Lord today, come down here to the front as we're singing this song.